the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Greek word for evangelist comes from the Greek word for gospel that means the good news. Thus, Philip was the good news man. Philip means lover of horses. It's metaphorical. The good news man means his business was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, The Good News Man. That's the good news, man, and we will bring you the first portion of that message here today. Don't forget, if you miss any portion of it, it's available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Let's pray. Dear Father God, our Sabbath school class, everything we do here, our interaction with each other, it's meant to lead souls to Christ. We're not put in here to be a club. We're not placed on planet Earth to make a show. We're placed on planet Earth to affect lives for eternity. The church is to be in a center for the evangelizing of this city, this world. And for no other end was it established, Lord. And we find love and community only in reaching out for the lost. As we consider what it means to be gospel-centered Christians, help us this day, Lord. Help me, the pastor. I'm no different than everybody else here. We need Jesus and revival in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the early church... There was a real need for godly men to stand up and serve the poor, and yes, the women in need in the church, because there were widows in the apostolic church, so the apostles could lead the church through prayer and study the Word of God. And they had it all upside down at first, and God had intervened to save the church. There are many believers today who think that pastors should do everything in the church and the preaching also. And they think that the pastor should mow the lawn, sweep the floors, take out the trash, do a full-time job for the maintenance of the church, visit all the sick, take care of the poor, and then preach the Bible also. Have you ever been to a church like that? You know, we can be a church like that because we've been through so many things. We've been through struggles that, yes, the pastoral leadership has had to lead out in fighting those struggles. But there's something wrong with that according to the Scriptures. In God's plan, this is really not how He designs that it should be. The apostles were so in high demand in the apostolic church that church members felt that unless they were leading out in everything, nothing would work. And so they had their hand in everything. Who can do the work better than the apostles? Let the preachers of the church get involved with this and that and everything else. So in time, the apostolic church, I mean a short time, it didn't take long, the church was in mortal danger of burning out the first apostles as they sought to serve the saints in ways that they should not serve the saints. The crisis reached a boiling point where it had to stop for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of these precious disciples that Christ had called to be ministers of the word. The Holy Spirit 
I have found has a way of stepping in for the sake of the cause of God, speaking to the hearts of honest and good people so that changes occur and God's work moves forward in a positive way. Take your Bibles, look at Acts 6, verse 2. It says, The twelve summoned the body of the apostles and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Isn't that an amazing verse? The primary focus of the apostolic ministry was to take the Word of God and give it to the world. And God had raised up those ministers for that purpose. They called the whole church together as this conviction settled on them, as the Holy Spirit was working on that little church. And they called a business session, a church business session, to solve the pressing problems. And they discovered that when the church chooses to impose the full burden of the church on the apostles that the Word of God is not going out as it should and the church suffers in that way. So in God's plan, the pastor had to grow to be a servant of the Word. Yes, to help at times, but to not be distracted from his primary calling for the sake of the gospel. So how did the early church solve this problem of loading the pastor down so they couldn't grow in the Word and pray as they should and be evangelists and fostering growth in the church? The Holy Spirit moved upon the early church to choose both the wise and the capable men among them, deacon leaders in the church, who were bold and service-driven as teachers of the Word. In other words, he found others who would minister in a way that would not distract from the unique calling of the apostles. Acts 6.3, Therefore, brethren, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Notice again, prayer and ministry of the Word is the focal point of the apostolic ministry. The first group of deacons in the early church were servant leaders in the early church. And when the church agreed, the Holy Spirit moved on the church to choose just the right people. I mean, they didn't have some message from heaven and said, pick this one, pick that one. Through a nominating process, through prayer, through deliberation, people coalesced that were the right people for the cause of God. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole multitude. You know, the people got it. That early church figured out that if they weren't highly engaged, totally committed people, that they would lose the leaders that Jesus had established. And so they marshaled their efforts, their wisdom, their influence to save the church so it could grow into the next phase. So it says it pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I like the way it put that, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He was a can-do, get-it-done kind of person who believed that God could lead the church forward. A deacon. He was full of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. Christ had laid his hands upon the early apostles. Now they put their hands upon these seven deacons. Now look what the direct result is. Verse 7 tells us there was a direct impact of shifting toward a pastor-centered ministry to a church-centered ministry with capable leaders within the church guiding it under the apostolic leadership, of course, but not being micromanaged. Look what happened in verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, isn't that the right outcome? So when we have the right mix in the church, the work of God grows. These men chosen by the people were capable men of God. Stephen here 
is the first on the list that you will see. And we know that early on he was stoned to death. He wasn't just a deacon. He was a minister of the Word. He could preach. He knew his Bible back and forth. He was able to stand up for Christ and face the Sanhedrin. And yes, he died as stones were pummeled on him. And the Apostle Paul found his right place when he saw the witness of a deacon named Stephen. Stephen could preach, as I said, and he was a man of God. Stephen's name in Greek means a wreath of victory. Paul said at the end of his life, a wreath of victory will be given to me. A Stephanos. He was thinking of Stephen as he was about to die. That the man who got him started gave his life for Christ and now it was his turn to give his life for Christ. Stephen was bold, true. He was a deacon in the church. You know, we think of deacons as people who just take up the offering. Deacons are meant to be servant soul winners in the church. You notice in the list that the first man in the list was named Stephen. The second is Philip. The one that follows was Prochorus, and his name means choir director. He was very likely a servant leader in music for the church. But all leaders need to grow, and all gifts need to be coordinated, so a choir director has the unique ability to bring people together and make sure that there's harmony and unity as service occurs. Nicanor's name means man of victory. He would not accept a no for the cause of God. He would not accept a defeatist mentality. He would win for Christ because of his faith in Christ. Timon's name means honor. He brought honor to the church as a worthy servant of God. He was a faithful soldier. He was wholly unwilling to see the church dishonored by falling into disrepair, and so he stood his post for the early church. Parmenius' name means to stay with it. Boy, is that a great virtue. You ever had something you're meant to do and you just have a hard time sticking with it? His name meant stick with it. He was consistent in his service in the church. Deacons like him did not give up. Servants like him in the church did not give up. He led by example. He did his task for God. Nicholas was a Gentile convert to Judaism. We get the name Saint Nicholas. It may have come from this. There was later a prominent Christian, very likely named after Nicholas here. And Nicholas's name means victory. It means one who overcomes for the sake of the church. We need victorious Christian leaders helping the church to grow. When you put the names all together, you get a good picture of what those early deacons were like. And may our church be smitten with a hundred of them here because we need people who serve God in that way because that is the plan of God. So I don't look down on a deacon. I think a deacon in some ways is a higher role than an elder. Because you see, the deacons in the early apostolic church were the soul winners. They were the active servants. They made sure the church was stabilized. They empowered the apostles to do apostolic evangelism. And so they were part of the program that made the church work and fire on all cylinders. But there is one name in this list that stands out that I have to focus on today. It's the second name in the list, the name of Philip. Philip in Greek means lover of horses. Now, every one of those names has a meaning that makes sense as a deacon. What has this name got to do with? It seems out of sync with the rest of the names. What on earth does Philip, a lover of horses, have to do with names like victory, stick with it, and so on? It has a meaning. I'm going to go into it. It's a little risky. You know, when we do Bible exegesis and we actually unearth the meaning of something, it can be a little hard in our modern culture to appreciate its full significance. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible. I'm going to unearth the Bible for you today. In ancient times, you can write this down in your notes, not our time, but in ancient times, it was considered a compliment 
and an honor to compare a fair woman in the church to a beautiful horse. Did you hear me? Uh, You see, I told you I'd get in trouble. I wasn't trying to get in trouble there. Now, look at Song of Solomon 1.9. I want to explain what I mean by this. I'm not saying we should do that today, but they did it back then. Solomon says, I compare you, my love, to a mare of Pharaoh's chariots. Now, is that in the Bible or not? Come on, help me here. Ladies, I need a few little... Okay, don't, don't go south on me here. Here's why. Let's connect the dots in our brains so we don't lose the idea. In ancient times, the flowing hair of a very expensive horse was compared to the flowing hair of a very beautiful woman. Does that make sense? Come on. It does. We're not talking about the Mr. Ed kind of horse that came on the television. That spoiled it for us. These beautiful Arabian horses that would move through the desert, their hair flowing in the wind. It's archetypical. You know, we've seen pictures of women on horses like that. It's a picture of beauty and grace. Well, that's what they were thinking of. The graceful form of an expensive horse was a cherished metaphor of a beautiful wife valued with grace and speed. I don't want to go too far with that. You get the idea? All right, today the metaphor wouldn't fly at all, but it did back then. So let's just understand that right here and now, that the metaphor is not for our time. I don't recommend you go home and compare your wife or your daughter to a beautiful horse. It probably won't work. You'll go to the doghouse today, but it happened to work back then. And I have found in symbolic Bible prophecy that this aspect of a horse, the hair, is linked prophetically as a symbol of women in that one way. So put that down in your Bible notes. In the Bible, names are often prophetic or descriptive of what that person is like or what that person is meant to be. The deacons were appointed to love and serve in the context, the widows of the church. That early church loved the widows of the church. It did not allow the poor women of the church to fall into a state of despair. For 100 years, we are told, the early church had a form of social care for the widows and others that was the envy of the Roman world. They did not let their people go into despair. And so these deacons took these precious praying women of God who had served the church of God, and they took care of them. Philip served the widows in the church when others would not do it. Philip is also famous for the fact that when he was older, he had four unmarried daughters who were also prophets, and he took care of them too. Personally, I think it would be very hard to be married to a prophet. Don't you? Now, men, I'm talking to you now. Okay. Imagine being corrected by your wife every day when she gets a message from God in the morning that you should do this, not do that, correct that sin, and by the way, she had a vision of your fault of character. Would that be a hard road to hoe to get the testimony of Jesus from a prophet every single morning? I'd rather get it out of my Bible, wouldn't you? Right? Well, these were unmarried prophets. You can kind of maybe connect the dots. Philip's daughters didn't marry, but Philip loved his daughters. He loved the women of the church in the right way because he was a man of God. He cared for the church. And yet he was a deacon. Now, Acts 21, 8 to 9, let's take our Bibles and just flip over. Paul here and others are making a journey. It says, on the morrow we depart and came to Caesarea. They're coming down the coastal line toward Jerusalem. And we enter the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. So it's taking us back to the verse we just read. And stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So there's the proof of what I said. We learn in these verses that not only was Philip a deacon in the church who served the needy widows of the church, 
but he was also an evangelist. It says it right here, who took care of his four daughters who could preach the word. They were prophetic. So it was a family tweaked and motivated for soul winning in the early church. So this deacon was active in his soul winning family to make a difference. At that time when women were denigrated in the Roman world, and they sure were. In fact, the Judaism was no better. Women were kept out of the court of the tabernacle. They were suppressed in Roman society. They had very few rights. And I could go on and on. They were seen as objects. Not so in the early church. In the early church, women worked with the apostles in places of respect, with spiritual giftedness to win people for Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful model for our church at this time. Philip, as a leader, was not irritated by the women of God because God had placed them there. And so he utilized the full network to make a difference in bringing people to Christ. The Greek word for evangelist comes from the Greek word for gospel that means the good news. Thus, Philip was the good news man. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Philip means lover of horses. It's metaphorical. The good news man means his business was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We first see Philip as an evangelist in Acts chapter 8, where his name appears 13 times in the book of Acts. Outside of Acts, his name only appears in Acts 6-5 and Acts 21-8. So Acts 8 is the one chapter where Philip shines. It's the Philip chapter in the book of Acts. Philip the evangelist. Philip the Good news man, the gospel man. So how did he get to Caesarea? As we read that verse there in Acts 21, he got to Caesarea later in life. What was the road that the Holy Spirit took him on to get him to this city where he settled down? Caesarea was a coastal city. It was named after Caesar. It was north of Jerusalem near the Mediterranean. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts 8 and see what Philip did for God on the road to Caesarea. Jerusalem, after Jesus died, after the Holy Spirit was poured out, was the center for the church until Stephen was stoned. When James was beheaded, the brother of John, one of the twelve, Peter was arrested, persecution settled in the early church, and the church moved out of Jerusalem. It stopped being the center. They moved north, south, every direction. Jesus told the early apostles before Pentecost to first work in Jerusalem. They did it. They worked that city until harassment took over. Then he said, go to Samaria. And then they moved to Samaria. And then he said, go to the ends of the earth. Take the world back from me. Do not settle down. Go everywhere for Jesus. Acts 8.1. And Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, the Bible says was consenting to Stephen's death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. 
Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. He was wrecking the church of God. He didn't care one lick about it. He wanted to bring it down, but he would later become a convert because of Stephen's death. It says he entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And he was doing this in Samaria, of all things. He went north. He took all the believers out. We see in verse 4 that persecution was allowed by God for a reason. It was allowed by God for a reason so the church could grow. Sometimes we have it easy. We think everything's going great. I don't need to get out and do soul winning. I don't need to invest in this church project or that. Do you realize God allows trouble to come into our lives personally and our church family so we can grow as Christians, so the church can grow? Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the multitudes with one accord gave heed to what was said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs which he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. I mean, what a fiasco, but a glorious day was occurring in Samaria. Philip would preach to just crowds, like street preachers, like John Wesley. And as he stood on a soapbox, people were moved with this devil or this demon and so on. And they began to cry out as they said, Lord Jesus, thank you for delivering me. I mean, this got the attention of the folk there in that town, in that area. So Philip first moves to Samaria where he has great success as a Billy Graham, John Wesley kind of preacher motivating the masses to come to Christ. Drama was in the air. I mean, how many of you like to go to a good evangelistic meeting and see people accept Christ by the thousands? Raise your hand. Isn't that exciting? You, you all get excited about it. Drama was in the air. The great evangelist Philip was working through the Holy Spirit to raise the consciousness of Christ. Verse 8 says there was much joy in that city when Philip led men and women to Jesus Christ. There will be much joy when we, through the Holy Spirit, lead men and women to Jesus Christ. There was a magician in that city named Simon the Great, and he wasn't as great as Philip the deacon, the evangelist. And he knew it when he saw Philip doing this stuff, and he was blown away. So he said, you know what? Sign me up. I get baptized too. He was kind of not all there yet. He asked to pay for money to have the power to do miracles, and Peter rebuked him, and it worked out in the end. What an amazing accomplishment for a deacon in the early church. I'd like to have a 100 deacons like Philip in my church who work for souls and serve God like that group listed there in Acts chapter 6. When you are successful with large numbers of people in the church, and you're a very good evangelist, and you have a track record that draws attention to you. You know what the Holy Spirit sometimes does? He sometimes takes you out of that prominent position and places you in a place of humility so that the focus will no longer be on you. See, God cares about His workers, and so God can move them around at times when He needs to for the cause of God. At the peak of His success, the Holy Spirit moved on Philip the deacon to go south and talk to a single person instead of a great multitude like he had at Samaria. It's a complete transition from what he was used to. Philip the evangelist who won Samaria to Christ was also the personal soul winner who won one man in a chariot who would take the gospel to a nation. You see, in the early church, personal evangelism was perhaps more important than public evangelism because without personal evangelism, the public meeting wouldn't work. In fact, Jesus had worked Samaria and made an influence there before Philip came. He was reaping the harvest of Christ sitting at the well with the woman in John 4. Acts 8.25 
And when they had testified and spoken to the word of God, they returned to Jerusalem. So everybody's coming back happy as a lark. The Samaritans are accepting Christ. Now think about this. Jewish converts who hated Samaritans, reaching out to Samaritans, rejoicing in their salvation. I don't know about you. I don't like this idea of the church being a club. Do you like the church being a club? I don't like the idea of the church being made up of one ethnic group. The church is to be made up of all kinds of different people, different cultures coming together in love for souls and rejoicing that God brings people in that he doesn't keep them out. That's what the church was established for. And so it says they testified that the word of God, and they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. I mean, this raised the eyebrows of the racist Jews in Jerusalem. They couldn't believe that these Jewish converts of Jesus were reaching out to these hated Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord, and here's the intervention, verse 26, said to Philip, rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Now that's different. In other words, get out of Samaria, Philip. I'm giving you a new marching order, special forces. Go south, not north, south. There was not a lot to see on that desert road. There were no hotels to stay at and spend the church's money lavishly, no homes to visit, no animals on the side, just a desert road. And when the apostles went up to Samaria to reap the harvest of Philip's efforts, God took Philip out of the mix and sent him alone to a desert road. Now, you don't argue with angels. You know, if the angels ask you to do something, should you say, well, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. Shouldn't you say, yes, Lord, thy servant heareth. He went south. He was a good soldier. My son's in the military. I'm not going to go into detail about that. But one thing I've learned about the military is that you don't sit there and argue back at your captain or your commander. You have to have absolute loyalty to leadership. And when you are told to do a task, you do it with a good attitude or you're out of the military. Well, that will conclude the first portion of The Good Newsman. Join us again the next time we get together for the conclusion to this broadcast. It's available for you at reachingyourheart.com now if you'd like. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673. Or reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.